This is Colorado Matters from CPR News. I'm Ryan Warner. State lawmakers officially go back to work Wednesday, but things are already popping. Legislative leaders from both parties are talking with the governor about asking voters for more transportation money. Meanwhile, the two parties are staking out very different views on how the new Trump administration will affect Colorado. From the state capitol, I'm joined by incoming president of the Colorado Senate, Republican Kevin Grantham of Canyon City, and the new speaker of the House, Democrat Chrysanta Duran of Denver. And welcome to both of you. Well, thank you for having us. Good morning. Let's start with transportation. CDOT recently identified about $9 billion in need for road construction and transit this over the next 10 years. We spoke with the governor's office last week, and they said he's negotiating with both parties about going to voters in November to raise taxes for transportation. Uh, Senator Grantham, would you support a tax hike for roads and transit? Well, that's part of the negotiation, obviously. We're trying to figure out what the best source for funding is. Well, we need, a, obviously, a lot of money to take care of the needs for our, here in the state, all of the major projects. And what that looks like in order to uh, fund the, the bonding, the debt service for the bonding, and what that revenue stream looks like, that's part of the negotiation. That's what the governor and the speaker and I are currently discussing and, and trying to figure out. And I feel pretty optimistic that by the end of the session, we'll be able to come up with something that we can agree upon and send to the voters. And what would your, say, 30-second elevator pitch to voters be if this looked like something of a tax increase? Well, from what we're seeing, I think the this will essentially sell itself. People already know the need out there in the state, uh, whether you're here in Denver or whether you're out in rural Colorado where I'm from. You already know the need every time you get in your vehicle and you drive down the road. Uh, you know the condition of the roads and the deteriorating infrastructure, uh, some of that will sell itself. And we have to uh, be able to show, I think, the selling point that we will use the money for exactly what it's intended for and to get these projects underway and done as quickly as possible. You have aging infrastructure at the same time that you have lots of people moving to Colorado and more people thus using it. Representative, uh, soon-to-be Speaker of the House, Duran, do you support a tax increase for transportation? Well, one of the things that we decided to do prior to the election is convene a group of Republicans and Democrats on the second floor, legislators and leadership, to start talking about the needs in transportation. Um, and what we thought would be the best approach to this is, is let's get together and start looking at a variety of different options and figure out um, when we know that there are people in this state who have a difficult time with traffic congestion, that we know we need to invest in roads and bridges and different transportation options. How do we bring people together to come up with a solution that is going to make sense for everyone. I think those conversations prior to the election that were convened have been very productive. Mm. And we're continuing to look at the details of what is possible so that we have a transportation system that works for all, um, regardless of whether you live in a rural area of the state or an urban area of the state. This is about all Coloradans, and that's going to be our focus. Do you imagine that this would raise all $9 billion in one fell swoop, or that this would have a chunk of it, Senator Grantham? Well, I think that still remains to be seen. I, 
you know, we're hoping for at least a chunk of it in order to take care of uh, some of the major issues, some of the major projects that we're looking at right now. Um, like what? Hard to say. Well, like the uh, the ones that we hear about quite a bit, the viaduct uh, project here in Denver, the, the I-70 West project, the I-25 North, and the I-25 South between Castle Rock and Monument. All of those are major, major projects on the list that um, – I think will be a high priority for most of the legislature. And then a lot of the, of course, the outlying areas, we want to make sure that rural Colorado is taken care of as well and that some of the aging infrastructure down in, uh, that we that I know of uh, directly in southeast Colorado, you know that we get that taken care of. Um, it's hard to say at this point whether or not uh, we're going to see the entire uh, $9 billion, as you stated, uh, on the front end, but... We're hoping to at least make a great start and get some of these major projects underway. Representative Duran, would you hope to raise all $9 billion at once? Would that be the goal? Well, the devil is still in the details, and I believe strongly in um, coming up with a solution that both Republicans and Democrats in the House and the Senate can get behind. Um, for, from my perspective, I think that if we were to go forward with something for, for the voters, we should be looking at long-term solutions. You know, the last two sessions, we've had the hospital provider fee changing to an enterprise, which would have freed up dollars to invest in education and transportation. Democrats are still very, very much interested in that solution. Um, but for some, it has been a non-starter. And so what we've said going into the session is, Let's put all options on the table and try and come up with results for the people of Colorado who are depending on us to problem solve, and not just now in the short term, but into the future as well. And so I'm hoping that we'll be able to come up with a plan that will address some of our long-term growth and needs of the state of Colorado. On a scale of 1 to 10, how important is it to you that mass transit be a part of whatever money is raised or bike and pedestrian infrastructure? Senator Grantham? On a scale of 1 to 10, well, yeah. how do you rate that? Well, you know, I think that's a different answer for where you're at. Obviously, up in the metro area, that is a different answer than for us down in rural Colorado. So um, I think we want to be very careful when we start talking about solutions that involve um, any kind of tax increases, any kind of revenue increases, that we treat um, the different areas of the state as they are differently. Um Rural Colorado doesn't have the same needs uh, for mass transit as the rural or the, as the urban area does, so we want to make sure that any of the formulas that we use to distribute money are taking into account the the variety, the the diversity of this state and the different needs in those locales. So um, it's obviously important up here, and it's not quite as important down there. All right. So. And uh, what would you say, Crisanta Duran, for mass transit, bike and pedestrian infrastructure on a scale of 1 to 10, how important is it that that be included in whatever money is raised? I think we need to make sure that there are transportation options, and that can be a variety of different options depending on the area of the state that one is from. Um, one to ten, I would say ten. We need to make sure there's as many transportation options available to different local communities. Um, when we think about how we organize our roads, we should think about them not in the sense of just how we move cars, but also how we move people, and also how seniors and people with disabilities, what options that they have. Um, so I think the more options, the better. 
this indeed has to be a bipartisan solution in order to get through uh, both chambers and on to the governor. And uh, so a question for you, incoming Senate President Kevin Grantham. If there were a transportation tax, would another tax have to be eliminated in your mind to offset it? Or would you be comfortable with an entirely new tax that, of course, voters would have to vote on under Tabor? Well, you know, I I think we should look at uh, those options as far as eliminating some tax, um, especially those that are uh, more of a declining source of revenue, such as the gas tax. Um, It's not the source that will take us into the future for the funding that we need. Um, If we can save the taxpayers some money on that end for something that is a uh, not the future source that we're going to need, then let's uh, talk about eliminating it at least and moving on to something else that we can uh, depend on that will be an increasing source of revenue that all Coloradans can share in. The gas tax, as you say, in really recent years, I think even decades, has been yielding less and less money for transportation. So the idea there is if you could replace that with a more robust tax, you might eliminate the gas tax. Uh, but that, that's all Certainly, part of the negotiation. It is all part of the negotiation. I mean, that is, uh, that is at the essence of what we're talking about, um, being able to move into the future with something that will be able to uh, fund all these major projects, not just the ones that are on the list now, but the ones that are going to be on the list in the future. Uh, we don't know where those are at yet. And right now we do know that the gas tax relative to population growth and numbers of vehicles on the highway is a uh, is a declining source of revenue, uh, relatively speaking. So, I want to get to each of your personal stories in just a moment, but um, we heard from uh, Representative Duran the mention of the hospital provider fee. And you might think, how would a hospital provider fee possibly relate to transportation or education? Um, I'll I'll try to explain this briefly, but essentially um, the Democrats in past sessions have proposed a budgetary move related to this fee. It is also related to Tabor, the Taxpayer Bill of Rights. And this move would free up more money potentially for transportation and education. Republicans have really seen this as a non-starter. It sounds like uh, the issue is not dead to Democrats. Is that correct, uh, future Speaker Duran? Thank you. Well, we're very much interested still in that solution. That said, we think that it's not the only solution, and we should be looking at a variety of different options. And that's why I, in collaboration with President Grantham, brought together a group of Republicans and Democrats before the election to start talking about some of our needs and looking at different options as it relates to transportation specifically. But one thing that I think is really important at the end of the session um, is this notion of promises made, promises kept. We have to make sure that there's transparency and accountability with regards to any option that comes forward. There's a lot of taxpayers in the state that work very hard, and when they invest in transportation or if they invest in other efforts, um, we need to keep our promise to them and make sure that we deliver on what we say that we are going to do. That that transparency is key to getting something passed potentially in November, because a lot of statewide uh, proposed statewide tax increases have failed in the past in Colorado, and voters have cited that that transparency and accountability is a reason they voted no. Uh, I'm not going out on a limb here, I don't think, uh, Senate President Kevin Grantham, to say that this remains a non-starter for Republicans, the hospital provider fee and its reclassification. It really does. Um, you know, we've looked at this, we've um, 
litigated it, so to speak, mm-hmm. uh, quite a bit in debate over the last couple of years. And, you know, it's it's still a, a difficult one for us, and it's just really not a place we can go. Um, you know, but that's, you know, not the larger part of the conversation that, you know, the speaker and I are having right now. We're we're talking about uh, a multitude of different uh, forms of, and of solutions that we can look at. Um, even if we did agree on the provider fee, there's uh, still some question on the future of that and what that looks like going down the road. And I think the solutions that the speaker and I and the first floor here in the Capitol building are looking at are something that's going to take us into the future, not just one, two, three years down the road, but we're looking 20 years down the road here trying to create solutions that will uh, propel us into the future for uh, a good infrastructure here in Colorado. So what I'm hearing from both of you and thus both parties is that whatever solution you find for transportation funding, it can't be a Band-Aid. It has to be long-term. So I, I want to talk about the tone of the legislature this year. We're coming off a pretty nasty campaign season, and we reported last week on a study that says Colorado's legislature is the most polarized in the country that's based on information from voting data and surveys. As the leaders of the two chambers, is it important to you that there be civility? Or has this election demonstrated that civility is even achievable? What would you say, House Speaker Duran? I think that in Colorado, we have a track record of being productive. We've been able to work across the aisle on a variety of issues, whether it was workforce development or affordable housing, making sure that there's school safety in previous sessions, balancing the budget. I mean, we have been able to sit down, have conversations, have a cup of coffee, and really dive into the issues that matter most to Colorado. I think this upcoming session, you're going to see more of that good work that is going to take place. And quite frankly, it's been taking place prior to the election. So we are very much focused on making sure we don't take any Coloradans for granted, we don't leave any Coloradans behind, and that we put people first and we'll work with anybody to be able to accomplish that goal. Um, we look, for, look forward to great collaborations um, with the governor, with Republicans and Democrats, with the people of the state to make sure that Colorado continues to move forward and we preserve and enhance our wonderful quality of life. You mentioned two issues there, affordable housing and transportation, that last year you couldn't come to agreement on. Uh, do, do, Do those actually undermine your argument? Well, there was a lot of focus on construction defect reform, but as it related to affordable housing as a whole, we had great progress, actually. And let me give you a couple of examples. One issue in particular is is that now Coloradans can save money for a down payment on a home or closing costs on a home tax-free. Republicans and Democrats came together to get that proposal through. We also passed a proposal um, to extend the low-income tax credit, which is basically a tax credit for developers to build or redevelop more affordable housing. Um, That has been a proven way to address affordable housing in the state of Colorado. And I think that there's been many victories when it comes to workforce development, making sure that people across the state have tools to succeed, that in a changing economy, um, that they have access to the types of skills and training to be able to meet the demands of business and be able to get good paying jobs. Um, So we are looking forward to continuing the good work that we've been able to accomplish on behalf of the people of Colorado. And we know that we have a lot more to do. um, And we look forward um, to getting as much done as we possibly can and being as productive as we possibly can. Mr. President, what do you say about civility and the tone of the legislature? 
whether that's a priority for you. Well, certainly. Uh, you know, I think the speaker and I, we came in together back in 2010, 2011, and uh, we were the, the, the unknown freshmen in the, in the crowd, you know, and now we're where we're at, and we're still, you know, the lowly president and speaker. <laughs> um, but we've always gotten along well, and I think we're, we're able to have that civil tone and talk with each other. And, and those moments where, you know, we have a Democrat House and we have a Republican Senate, you know, we're going to have those moments. Um, I think we all acknowledge that, that there's going to be some of the, the partisanship that, that happens. Um, but the Speaker and I have committed to solve any of our issues with an arm wrestling match in her office. And so we're going to take care of that <laughs> in, okay. in, a, in the most civil manner possible. No, just kidding. We actually get along very well, and uh, I think the tone already is very positive, and I think we are both optimistic over some of the things we can accomplish this, this, this year and next year. You know, a lot of Republicans feel emboldened by Trump's election and the fact that Republicans are now in control of the House and Senate in Washington. But it sounds like you're reflecting, uh, Kevin Grantham, the divided government here in Colorado and, and don't necessarily share that feeling. Well, the, you mean as far as the excitement coming down from uh, many across the country over the, the, the change in leadership in D.C. Yeah, and whether I'm, you think that translates to Colorado, which has, you know, a, a divided government. It, it, it may, uh, it may or may not. You know, we'd still, regardless of what happens in D.C., we still have a split legislature here, and we still have a Democrat governor. And so whatever solutions uh, that are to happen for issues here in Colorado, uh, whatever happens in D.C., we still have to collaborate, and we still have to work together to come together on those solutions, uh, be it in healthcare or transportation or construction defects or any of these things. You've heard the term construction defects now twice. This is about making it harder to sue developers, uh, particularly of condos, and some see this as a step towards more condo construction and therefore potentially bringing down the cost of housing. Uh, Senator Grantham, I understand this is a real priority for you this year, but it has been unsuccessful in previous sessions. What makes you think this year will be different? Well, you know, in any situation, you know, we have to collaborate, as the speaker mentioned in the previous segment. You know, there has to be talking between both sides. And I think we're starting to finally see um, maybe the the tone changing within the, the larger group, maybe not so much inside the building here, but the groups outside the building that are doing more talking and trying to find the solutions. This is not an easy issue. This is very complex. It's multifaceted. Uh, there, there's no real big consensus on what the absolute solution is to making uh, this problem go away. And so we're looking at a multitude of different things, maybe multiple pieces of legislation, uh, maybe one comprehensive bill. Uh, it's, it's not an easy thing. And so that's why it hasn't been real successful in past years. Um, but I think we're finally moving on along with uh, good bipartisan looks at this, plus folks out in the world and out in the industry itself, be it insurance, be it construction, um, be it all these various things that are all talking. And I think we'll be able to come to some pieces of legislation that will actually uh, get us a long ways down the road to solving the problem. So I think the tone has changed both outside the building and maybe a little bit inside the building as well. 
Uh, Speaker Duran, what do you think? And this is, uh, you know, about the balance between Mm -hmm. consumer protection and the protection of those who build buildings. Well, since the end of last session, I've spent a lot of time looking at the issues and a variety of different policy proposals. And I take my role in as being the next Speaker of the House very seriously. I think it comes with great responsibility, and we have to make sure that we pass legislation, that we act, actually creates the results that we intend it to. Um, and so I believe that w- there may be some areas where there could be common ground. Um, but I do draw a line uh, when it comes to consumer rights. I think it's very important that uh, people across the state of Colorado, if they purchase a home and there's shoddy construction, then they have the opportunity to remedy that and that we protect consumers' rights. That said, I think that there may be some opportunities to look at insurance rates specifically and try and get to the heart of the issue. And um, We need to make sure that we have well-vetted policy as it relates to any reforms that come forward. And when I think about affordable housing, you know, this is one component of it, but there's also a lot of other issues that that um, people have to deal with every single day when they're trying to figure out how are they going to be able to get have a job that pays them enough that enables them to buy a home. Um, and so we're looking at a variety of different affordable housing proposals. Also for tenants, you know, in Colorado, uh, many tenants are engaged in different contracts to rent out an apartment. And many times they don't have very much notice whatsoever in comparison to other states if there's going to be an increase in rent. And so I think there's some common sense things that we can do um, to really um, think about those issues that middle-class Coloradans are dealing with every single day um, and make and make our laws more equitable. Uh, conversely, though, landlords might hear that and um, have their hackles raised. Well, in the state of Colorado, it's only about a week notice um, that people get if their rents are going to be increased. And you think about people who work hard, have a family, you know, are thinking about how they're going to get their kids through school and so forth. And a week's notice is just not enough time if you have to move, if you have to look at different options. I mean, it could really disrupt the lives of um, families and just one's life generally. And so I think that there should be more notice for tenants if they're going to have their rates increase dramatically. I think that, that in comparison to a lot of other states, um, there are, there's a more balanced approach to addressing that issue. Interesting. What do you think, Senator? Well, you know, I think as far as the construction litigation, you know, an attainable housing issue uh, on the first uh, part of the conversation, you know, taking care of the consumer, taking care of the the homeowner, making sure that uh, they still have their ability to uh, have their rights and have their day in court, you know, that is obviously very important. Any of us would want that ability. Um, but also making sure that the law is weighted correctly so that it's not completely against the the builder, against the generals or the subcontractors. You know, trying to find that right balance and to, to the, protect both sides of the equation. And to that second proposal that we heard, the idea of landlords having to give more notice if they're going to increase the rent, is that something Republicans could get behind? You know, that's something we'll take a look at. Um, it's uh, obviously not a uh, an easy issue. And again, this is something that we'll have to negotiate and talk about and uh, debate on what uh, what is right for the consumer, what's right for the, the tenant, the renter, uh, versus the landlord's rights and um, the homeowner's rights. So, you know, we'll, we'll talk about it. We'll see if there's a, a balance there that we can achieve. 
I want to talk a little bit about what the Trump administration and Republican Congress could mean for Colorado, specifically in the arena of health care. So efforts to dismantle Obamacare have now begun at the federal level. At the same time, it seems there's a lot of interest in getting insurance through the state's exchange. Signups were ahead 18 percent over last year as of December, according to Connect for Health Colorado. I'll say that open enrollment ends January 31st. Do you imagine that U.S. state lawmakers are going to have to take some sort of legislative action this session to perhaps, in the Democrats' minds, preserve the ACA in some way, or perhaps in the Republicans' mind, uh, help um, roll out the, the finer points of a dismantling? Uh, and Speaker Duran, why don't you take that first? Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, so one of the things that I think was wonderful for Obamacare is that we saw more Coloradans than ever before being able to have access to health care insurance. And for the first time, we were able to cover pre-existing conditions and kids were able to stay on their parents' plan for a longer period of time. That's very meaningful to so many Coloradans across um, the state, and we want to continue to be able to preserve that coverage and preserve those specific types of coverage. Um, I think we're always thinking about how do we build upon the foundation that we have to address some of the high rates of health care as it relates to the rural areas of Colorado. How do we continue um, to make sure that there is not waste in the health care system? Um, but overall, I am hoping and we are watching very, very closely what happens at the federal level um, because there are so many Coloradans that are depending on access to health insurance that we need to do everything in our power to be able to protect that but also thinking about how do we build upon the foundation that is there to make it even even better. Um, and that it will be the focus going into this upcoming legislative session. I still think that there's a lot of unknowns. And I've said in the past, since Donald Trump got elected to the White House, that if he does everything that he said he was going to do on the campaign trail, he's not only going to destroy Colorado communities, he will also destroy Colorado's economy. We need Colorado-specific solutions with Republicans and Democrats working together um, to do what is right for the people of our state and for the unique needs of our state as well. That sounded awfully optimistic uh, when Republicans are very uh, exuberant to dismantle Obamacare. What steps could Colorado take? Well, I think that we are ready to stand strong against efforts um, that would uh, limit uh, the ability to cover pre-existing conditions. We are ready to stand strong as it relates to making sure that people have access to health care insurance. Those were um, things that came forward in the health care reforms that a lot of Coloradans are depending on, uh, people that work hard and people that need to be able to um, have that security for themselves and for their families. Um, And so with that, we'll be be going into this upcoming legislative session, watching very closely what actually happens at the federal level. I think that there still are a lot of unknowns about what this is going to look like and how it would impact Colorado specifically. Um, But we need to build upon the foundation of uh, what has been accomplished for Coloradans across the state. Senator Grantham, on the Affordable Care Act and what a dismantling at the federal level might mean at the state level and for even the session ahead. 
Well, you know, that's going to be, the proof will be on the pudding on that, whether or not they actually get that accomplished at the federal level. Um, and we'll see if that actually happens where we can react or do something on the state level within our 120-day session before May 10th. We will have many options maybe in front of us to, to have to deal with, whether it's on the, the local Colorado Health Care Exchange or whether it's uh, in regard to to Medicaid. We don't know what all these reforms are going to look like uh, post-Obamacare, if there is a post-Obamacare. Um, we'll most likely have to be dealing with something uh, by the 2018 session for sure. Uh, but this session, I, I'm imagining right now that we're just going to be uh, waiting and seeing what happens from the federal level. Either way, we're going to have to figure out a some Colorado solution um, for a purple state. We're, <clears throat> regardless of whether Republicans are in full control in D.C. or whether Democrats are in full control in D.C., we still have a split legislature here, and we still have split government. And no different than it's been over the last 40 years, we have to collaborate and uh, work together to find solutions for Coloradans. Thanks to both of you. You heard Kevin Grantham, Republican from Canyon City. He's incoming president of the Colorado Senate and Representative Chrysanta Duran of Denver. She's a Democrat and will be the new Speaker of the State House. The legislature gavels open Wednesday. After a break, immigrant stories from an Asian-American theater company in Colorado. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News. I'm Ryan Warner. A refugee story now, not from the Syrian crisis, but from further back. Peter Trin's parents escaped Vietnam after the war ended there. They climbed onto a small fishing boat packed with nearly 100 people and their life savings. Eventually, they settled in Denver. Trin has written a one-act play about their plight called Boat Person. It's on this weekend and next, presented by Theatre Esprit Asia, where he is assistant artistic director. It is the state's only Asian-American theater company. Peter, welcome to the program. Yes, right. Thank you for having me. Was your parents' immigrant story something that you heard a lot about growing up? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, mostly from my father, bits and pieces growing up here and there. And um, so when I was ready to write the play, I, I got to sit down with him and kind of get the chronology of it and and really record him and put put the pieces together in my head the way they actually happened. What slivers of the story stand out to you? What what is indelible? Uh, little little details, little details like when uh, my parents were finally picked up by a U.S. naval the U.S. naval ship. Um, he it, he ate an apple for the first time. He had ever eaten an apple before. <laughs> not a food that was known to him. Not not a food that was indigenous to Vietnam. Yeah, and it was uh, reserved for for the the rich during New Year's and and um, so little details like how delicious he felt it was and things like that. Literally, the taste of freedom. The taste of freedom. Yeah. So a little of the backstory here: in 1975, armed forces from northern Vietnam seized the South. And made it a unified communist country. Correct. Why did your parents feel they had to leave Vietnam, I, I think some six years later? It was not immediate. Right. Right. Um, there were changes into daily life there. Um, my dad's older brother was a South Vietnamese officer, and he was put in, in these uh, re-education camps. And uh, life got difficult. 
Um, you couldn't do anything without the government having their hand in it. Um, my dad always explained communism to me as a child growing up. That is, a, if I had no money and you had $10, you had to give me 5 so, um, and you didn't like that idea of getting five dollars <laughs> as a kid. <laughs> yeah, it, it, not a well. <laughs> if it was the other way around, I'm sure uh-huh. I wouldn't like it as very much, you know. But um, it was, it was the idea that you know they people didn't want to raise their kids there anymore. They didn't feel like their kids had a future there. So there was only America and you know President Ford's Immigration Act gave them a direct vantage point to get somewhere better. It must have been, I think, as you hinted with your family, it must have been hard, too, to have been a part of the South and have that reputation when the North took over. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, It's interesting. Even in the dialect between North, Central, and South Vietnam, very, very different. They're almost even different countries, different uh, ideals and stuff like that. I, I I have cousins, their parents are from the Central, and I can't even understand them, even though I, I'm fluent in Vietnamese. So it was a huge change that occurred in Vietnam there, and one that just did not make your family feel welcome or at home anymore. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what kind of arrangements did they have to make to leave Vietnam? So... Um, illegal dealings on the black market, essentially. My dad always said the cost was one gold bar per person, um, which my, my, my mom's father, my grandfather footed for. And, uh, yeah, it was literally like an underground railroad type of thing where you, you had to keep dealings quiet in order not to be found out. And uh, uh, when they were ready to leave, it was literally in the middle of the night. Um, people with, you know, their, their bags and handbags and just things that they could carry and their children, little children as young as, you know, as young as newborn, really, um, being carried in the middle of the night. People filing into a small fishing boat, trying to stay quiet as they can. And then... Um, dispersing into the river. Uh, mostly, most most rivers led to the Mekong, which emptied out into the Pacific. And that's where your parents were headed. That's where they were headed. Yeah, they were. The idea was um, there was a small remote island off the southeast coast of Vietnam that people knew to go to, and and freighters or commuters from the U.S. Navy passed there often. And would pick people up. Interesting. I mean, it was an official declaration. It was a policy of the United States government that this this occur and that the U.S. bring in these refugees. But the process of it was really very underground, as as you're describing. Right. Right. The U.S. couldn't come in and take you or anything like that. So it was like, if you can get out of Vietnamese waters, we'll pick you up. I want to ask you about what that looked like for your parents in a moment, but let me say that you're listening to Colorado Matters. I'm Ryan Warner, and we are speaking with Peter Trin. He's an actor and assistant artistic director at Theater Esprit Asia, and he has written a one-act play about his parents' immigration story called Boat Person. And you noted that this came out of interviews you did with your father, not so much your mother. Was she more reluctant to speak? Um, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. 
just growing up, my dad always talked about it, and my mom never really talked about the experience. Um, my relationship with my father is 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 is, is a lot stronger in that sense, anyways. Okay. So, uh, yeah. when your parents fled, mm-hmm. uh, did they face direct danger? That is, were were they attacked right. for trying to leave? They did. They did, and that's chronicled in the play. Um, once they got to the Pacific border, essentially they were shot at by by um, communist coast guards. So on the water, this happened on the water. Yeah, in the, in the dead of night, <clears throat> with um, all these dozens of other people in right, the boat, about a hundred hundred people in a small fishing boat that was only like forty five feet long. Um, that was not meant for holding that many people or or being on the water for very long at all. Um, it was powered by a a small engine that they they repurposed from a army jeep utility vehicle a jeep engine was running this boat yeah was anyone on board shot do you know no no nobody was shot um there was no no significant damage to the boat um so they didn't even know if they were like if they were sh- it, was, it was shoot to kill or if it was like shoot warning to shots scare, right. yeah so let's talk about the interception of their boat by the American forces, which is what they were hoping for. What do you know about that scene besides your father taste, tasting the apple? Um, it was it was called the USS Shasta, um, and they picked him up after about seven days on the open ocean. Seven alone. days in those conditions? Seven days in the hot tropics, yeah. The cruise the no one wanted to take, yeah. Yeah, in the middle of summer. Mm-hmm. And... Um, my, I, my, my dad has a little card that from the Shasta that was like that he declared you as a refugee. Still, um, is this something he showed you? Yeah, yeah, that he showed me that he still has um, identity cards, pictures of them that were identified them as as legal refugees. Um, but it was the most gigantic ship that they had ever seen before. My dad said it was like floating up to a giant skyscraper in the middle of the water. Um, and, and they'd been in this dinky little boat. Dinky little boat. Whose cramped. engine gave out eventually, right? Right. Whose engine gave out, who people became ill and people voiding themselves inside the, in the hole. And, and it was, it was not a, a great place to be. And the damp wooden floors would, would, um, cause blisters on people's, people's legs and thighs from sitting there. Um, but the ship, it was, it was everything of the sanctuary that it was supposed to be. They brought out cots and blankets and food for them. And they were treated like guests and, and they, 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 they weren't, um, objectified or anything like that. And everybody was happy to, to have them aboard and save them. And they were free to walk about. They weren't like sequestered to a certain part of the ship or anything. And so you could imagine this, this U S Naval ship with, uh, over a hundred refugees non-english speaking just running around like kids looking at these giant you know equipments and hardware and that afternoon actually they picked up a second ship or a second boat a second fishing boat uh-huh. with like another hundred vietnamese refugees in it i've just googled the uss shasta and yes i can imagine it looking like a skyscraper in the sea yeah especially if you'd been in those conditions absolutely so why is is uh, now? Do you think of a powerful time, a salient time to tell the boat person story? That's the name of the play you've written based on the experiences you've shared with us. Well, um, I, I think it's it's pretty obvious, of course, right? Right? Right now, we it, it's hard. It's hard because 
I believe this country was built on a place where people from anywhere could come to live freely and have a, a opportunity. And now it's, it seems like we're closing those doors and we're not, we're, we're saying, no, the people that are here are here now and we don't want any more people. And that, that's, that's rough. That's rough. And especially, you know, immigrants or people that are, are not exactly citizens yet are worried about their, their status and what, what their future holds for them. You know, I think that some would push back and say it's not that we are against immigrants. It's that we want to make sure that, that we are safe on our soil. Sure. Sure. Absolutely. You know, um, um, but there's, there's processes, you know, there's, there's things in place to make sure that those things, that the people that we let in are, are safe people, you know, and I mean, we could talk around in circles, right? All day long. But, um, when, when it comes to, when it comes to people that don't have a country, you know, people that, that are, are lost and people that don't have a place to go to anymore. You know, I mean, the United States was always a place to go to and open their doors. And now it's, it's changing. And you're a product of that. I am. Yeah, I am. You know, I couldn't be an actor in Vietnam. <laughs> I guess I, I guess I could, but I mean, um, it yeah, been a very you, different life, a very different life. And you can imagine my parents joy when they found out my, their, they, they risked their lives for their son to become an actor. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hear the facetiousness in that. <laughs> Peter Trin is assistant artistic director of Theatre Esprit Asia and his play Boat Person is part of an evening of works called Coming to America, which runs through next weekend at the Mary Miller Theatre that's in Lafayette. And uh, this show is a collaboration between Theatre Esprit Asia and Theatre Company of Lafayette. The National Western Stock Show kicked off over the weekend. Tonight, bull riders from around the world compete, and 15-year-old Britta Krakovic will sing the national anthem. She beat out more than a dozen others vying for this opportunity. She's a sophomore at Chatfield Senior High in Littleton, and she is here to sing for us and to, to talk a little bit as well. Britta, welcome to the program. <laughs> Thank you for having me. You got more than 6,000 votes to win this thing. How are you feeling this morning? Are you ready to sing in the arena tonight? Yes, I'm so excited. <laughs> excited. And does that include nervous? Yes, <laughs> a little. <laughs> How many people do you think you'll be singing for, if they told you? About a th- like 5,000. 5,000? A lot of thousands. <laughs> okay, I would be terrified. I'm impressed. Is that the largest audience you'll have sung for? Um, I sang in the Colorado Children's Chorale at Betcher Concert Hall, so that was about the same. Okay, the Colorado Children's Chorale. Mm-hmm. So you've been at this for a while? Yes. Since what age? Um, I came out singing. I was born <laughs> singing. <laughs> the doctors heard you. I see. And uh, what about singing interests you? Um, my parents built, both sang when they were little and it just like comes in the family. So I was just born with it. <laughs> I'm picturing a car full of your family and everyone is singing. Is yes. That, is that the right picture? Road trips all the time. <laughs> and what kinds of things would you sing? Um, Broadway musical songs, um, Selena Gomez, like, you know, uh, 95-7 songs. And what are you obsessed with right now? What are you um, listening to? I really like Birdie. She's like an artist and Gabrielle Atwood. British, Atlin. I think, maybe? Yes, they're yeah. both British. Singer, songwriter? Mm-hmm. Okay, Birdie, and who is the second one? Gabrielle Applin. Gabrielle Applin, okay. Why did you want to take part in this contest at the National Western? I thought it would be a great opportunity, so I just put my video in and then 
we won. And I was like, what? You were surprised? <laughs> yes, I was. You were up against uh, full-grown adults? Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh, why do you think you won? Um, my dad has 5,000 Facebook friends, and he's, like, really good with, like, getting information out there. And, like, they all, like, supported me, and we had, like, a big, like, vote for Britta every day at this time. And, like, it was really fun. So you had a good ground game in yes. this campaign. Okay. <laughs> Are you in choir uh, yes. at Chatfield Senior? Yes, I okay. am in Advanced woman qu- Women's Choir. It's called Charisma. At Charisma? hmm And you compete as well? Yes. Okay. So you're used to the, the kind of stiff competition environment yeah. as well. And I think, as, as we said, you beat out um, how many other people? About a dozen others that mm-hmm. were vying for this. What does your family think of, of you in this competition? They're very proud of me. <laughs> and, and we'll be there tonight? Yeah. Who else? Have you invited um, others? My grandparents are coming. My dad's actually in Africa right now, so he can't make it. But he'll be supporting me in Africa. <laughs> Is someone going to, like, Skype it for yeah. him? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Okay. Well, um, let's hear your rendition of the anthem. So, uh, again, Britta Krakovic, who beat out over a dozen in a stock show contest to sing the national anthem before tonight's PBR bull riding tour. And Britta, take it away. Hold on. I need my note. Sure. Okay. Oh, say can you see by the dawn's early light What so proudly we hailed at the twilight's last gleaming Whose broad stripes and bright stars through the perilous fight or the ramparts we watched were so gallantly streaming and the rockets regular the bombs bursting in air gave proof through the night that our flag was still there Oh, say does that star-spangled banner yet wave O'er the land of the free And the home of the brave Oh, very, very good. They're all clapping in the sound booth, which you can't hear right now, in the control room. There are some tough notes in that, aren't there? Yes. Yeah, like nerve-wracking notes. Mm-hmm. You hit them really beautifully. Thank you. Yeah, congratulations. So you'll hear Britta Krakovic tonight uh, ahead of the PBR bull riding tour at the National Western Stock Show. That's Colorado Matters for today. I'm Ryan Warner at CPR News.